and three, two, already live. There we are. All right. Happy Friday, everyone. It's Friday stream with Lunar Crush. We got Joe here. We got John. We're going to be talking today. We're going to start talking about some coins, but we are definitely going to get into a postmortem on the, uh, the Twitter hack, or as some are calling the Bitcoin scam. Although they don't call they don't call it a bank, it's Rob. It's not like the dollar scam. I thought that was a pretty interesting one I heard this week. Um, and then we'll, you know we're going to talk a little bit about inflation and how we think that's you know what do what do potentially wealthy people do? How does that affect you know the the people that are less fortunate? So we're going to talk through inflation a little bit later. But uh, I think we should just start talking post mortem on Twitter hack. I mean, what in the world? It was like it came as fast as it went. It went as fast as it came. What's happening? Well, I thought it was funny because I, I don't think we've ever had more coverage in a 24-hour period than what we saw. And it seems to be that the, the initial narrative that some of the media was trying to craft was that Bitcoin was hacked. And we, we both made sure, I think five times, 10 times on our interviews to, to say, uh, no, Bitcoin's just fine. Twitter has a security problem. Um, they have a security problem in the same manner that all SaaS applications have. If anything, Twitter has done more for security than 99% of the internet. Um, yeah. The amount of money that these companies spend on security and roles and rights and policies and staff to manage all of that, uh, it's, it's just numbing compared to what most individual websites are doing. So yeah, you know, I kind of, you kind of knew it had to be at the beginning, you knew it had to be some sort of social engineering, which is what they later, you know, came out and it told everyone because I mean, the speed at which all of those accounts were taken down. I mean, the coordination of something like that, because you know, almost instantaneously, if you've been SIM swapped, unless you're sleeping. So your phone stops working, like it's happened to me before, like, you know, and so it was like for them to be able to take down Apple and you know, Kanye and Joe Biden and Uber, it was like, whoa, something serious happened. And it almost reminded me a little like Mr. Robot-ish, like they just got in, the, you know, and whether or not they paid someone or whether or not they hacked in, I mean, it, it had to be social engineering. Right, right. And, and, and I mean, look, like, you know, I have, we all friends that have worked at some of these large social networks. Um, you know, there are, there are individuals that have access that they should not there there's a centralized you know few that control the keys to everything and so um this is a problem this is a problem that, that crypto was actually meant to solve and hopefully will but um i think there's a couple other sides to this story and that's that you know it's not that a lot of people haven't heard of bitcoin you know but if you ask if you ask a lot of individual individuals how, how can you how do i get bitcoin can you send me some Bitcoin? How does that work? What, what's a Bitcoin address? You, you go back to like the 101 level and, and mm -hmm. I look at it, it's kind of funny. You look at those tweets that were coming out. How many people knew that that's how you send Bitcoin? Yeah. Like how many people know that if, if I just have that string of characters that, that like if someone else can, can have it, they can just send me money. How many people mm -hmm. knew it was that easy? A lot of people didn't know it was that easy. And so if anything, it's a big ad for Bitcoin saying, hey, if you want to send some Bitcoin, all you need is this address and it, it, you can just get money. And so 
I look at that as that's that's pretty successful considering when we look at some of these accounts, they've never tweeted about Bitcoin whatsoever. Um, you know, we have we were looking yesterday at the Bitcoin influencers, and you know, Kanye West was in theory, even though it wasn't his tweet, <laughs> uh, the top Bitcoin influencer. Um, he's mentioned Bitcoin before in interviews, and a lot of people are posting that, but he's never tweeted it. Um, you know, just like we've, we've mentioned before, J.K. Rowling never had tweeted about Bitcoin, then all of a sudden did, and then she tweeted about Ethereum. And it's not, it's not positive or negative, it's awareness. This is all the stuff that the biggest brands in the world shoot for. They shoot for awareness. It's not good or bad. It's just yeah. getting the name on the tongue, getting people to think yeah. about it, getting it in the mind. It's a good point, especially with talking about brands. Yeah, like I think life, life's tough media. Like you got it right. Like imagine, right. imagine how much it would cost Coca-Cola to coordinate a tweet about Coca-Cola from Barack Obama and, you know, Kanye and Apple and Uber all at the same time. Like it would be an impossible buy. It was the impossible buy that cost no money right. and it happened, you know, and it's, and then it's an awareness bubble and yes, you know, it goes up and it comes down, you know, and I think we kind of, we, we can show some stuff around that, but you know, the base level at which people are now talking is slightly up, you know, especially from an audience and attraction standpoint. I mean, we're not, Lunar Crush is not tracking wallets, but it's, you know, I would love to, you know, outside of the social that we're kind of looking at, I'd love to go and look at, like, was there a, you know, some, not like a super significant, but a, a known bump, like an actual bump in, in, you know, addresses that were created and, and adoption of Bitcoin. Well, I mean, the, the price didn't fall. I mean, we're, we're hardly lower right. at this point, two days later. So, you know, all that we really have at the end of the day here is a lot of awareness of Bitcoin. And this wasn't a Bitcoin problem. This was a Twitter problem. Um, they could have, you know, they could have done something much more terrifying, much worse. They could have, you know, it's, it's funny. The, the, the one politician that uh, in the U.S. here that we didn't see hacked was Donald Trump. And they could have taken over his account. I'm sure no problem. Um, they're probably terrified to do so because he would probably go crazy on them. Um, but they apparently didn't think it was a big deal to take over Kanye or Obama or Biden or any of these other individuals, which is also an enormous deal. Um, but, you know, like next time this happens, because it will happen again, it may not even be Twitter, it may be something else. Um, I hope that everyone's learning from this. I hope that all of these SaaS applications that are, that are, that are built out there, social networks being one of them, I hope that they're understanding that it's not necessarily only a technology problem. It's also a policy problem. It's also an architecture problem where they've built these centralized systems that are, again, the keys are in the hands of a few and they're not yeah. in the hands of the users. And the users are really just pawns in this game with their data buy, you know, bought and sold and traded. Um, and we all don't, we haven't cared. We haven't cared like you know and, and there's been no revolt um other than maybe some um potentially hypocritical advertisers holding back their their facebook ad spend as an example um you know and, and we, we're seeing this lately but you know it's it's kind of like well great yeah but they're still on facebook they're, they're yeah removing their accounts they're still there they're just delaying their their buy yeah i mean so, i do think twitter did a nice job with i mean it was about five hours before twitter support came out and had like a pretty good answer to what had happened. And, you know, Twitter, it's like, they, you know, whether or not they get access to their DMs, but, you know, to put on like a, 
the tinfoil hat a little bit. Do you think it because they went after and did what they did? And, you know, some people could call it like for the for the amount of access they got, you know, was it the least successful outcome? It's, you know, was that a little bit of a, a head fake a veil? Like, look over here while this other thing is going on behind the scenes with this admin tool? Or do you think, I don't know, I just feel like it was kind of like, why go after? I mean, obviously 130 grand is great, but when you look at that wallet, it looks like that wallet over time has been running scams like this and they've done like, they've made about $7 million, right? So it's like, obviously there were things that were more successful that they were doing that were not as publicized. You know, what, what else could they have been doing with that admin key that potentially we don't know about like looking at people's dms like like look whoever did this um this was a pretty dumb thing to do because the reality is this is like this is the equivalent of um robbing a bank but stealing the minimum amount required to get the entire to get life in prison basically like can yeah. you imagine like <laughs> They could have done many other things to make a lot more money. They could have they could have pumped up altcoins and shorted them. <laughs> like, like they could have done so many other things to make more than a hundred grand. The other piece that right. I found interesting was um, one of those addresses was a Coinbase address. There's a, there's a couple different addresses used, and and one was a Coinbase address that I read was um, used to transfer eleven thousand dollars a few weeks ago. And I'm curious even where that comes into play because you have to KYC to be on Coinbase. So what did that KYC under? Was it a, was that under a fake account as well? Um, you know, because I mean, technically that would have to hook into a verified bank account. Did you well. always need to KYC on Coinbase even in the early days? Well, to have done this two weeks ago for what it was a it was a deposit and then a sell, but for them to do that two weeks ago, I, I'll assume that they had to have something verified on there to do that. Whether or not that was the the name of the hacker, or it was you know their mom or whoever it was, someone was KYC yeah. under that account, and so um, you know th this this remains to be seen what where this goes. But look, I, I come back to um, Bitcoin wasn't hacked, Twitter was. This was an enormous awareness campaign that you know take the peripheral news that was written about this never would have been written to talk about Bitcoin even more. When we look at the, you know, let me, let me pop up one of our charts, actually. You share yeah. my screen. I think you got those controls. You know, we, we've never seen this activity. And yes, this is a one-week chart. And it looks like, um, you know, it looks like a little bit shorter term on here. But like, it's you know, crazy. 138,369 social mentions in one hour. Um, we've never seen social contributors break. 100,057 in one hour. So those were individuals. So going back as far as we've tracked our data, we've never seen that. And, and then we've seen it fall and taper off and it's taken a bit, you know, it's kind of coming back. We got 5,000, you know, these are hourly numbers. So 6,000, 5,000, it's kind of just tapered out. And so- I mean, putting that in perspective from before though, what like the average is about two to 5,000 contributors a day across Bitcoin, or I'm sorry, an, an hour, hour. An hour. Yes, yeah, across hour. Bitcoin. And now we're talking 130,000 one hour. So we're talking, you know, 20, oh, like 15 times the amount or 200 times the amount of people, 150 times the amount of people that are on there talking about it. It's right. insane. 
Right. And, and, you know, that's not to say that everyone's going to run out and buy Bitcoin because they saw a hack on social, but it, it's more of a macro level thing to look at. Like, you know, is this, is Bitcoin on the tongue of many people? How many people went home that night and say, Hey, did you hear what happened on Twitter today? Kanye was hacked. Kim Kardashian was hacked. Barack Obama was hacked. Apple had their tweets deleted. How many people started talking about it? And, and that's immeasurable even. And so if a fraction of those people right now are starting to go, huh, that's interesting. Let me go and let me research that a little bit. Um, that is a big deal. And I say it's a big deal because, you know, if we go back, um, let's go back on our, on our six months here. And when, when, when you see that there's a couple things that have happened here, you know, one, th this was, this was actually a big promotion from, um, cash app. This was the having here we are. And so this was crazy. And so when we, when we look at, and this is on a daily, so on the daily, we had 343,891 and just looking at this before, you know, 30, 40, 50,000. When, when you go back, um, in fact, I'll go a year back. Take a second. That also right there, that graph looked like somewhat of a sustained growth post having in May. It, it's definitely coming up. I mean, when you go back a year, you know, we had 7,000, 8,000, and we were talking about Bitcoin for years. And so, like, the, yeah. the growth is there. It's coming up. And these are all individuals on a daily basis. So it's coming up. But overall, I mean, when, we, when you look at this period all in here, I mean, sure, it, it, it's up. Um, but we're sort of at this level of like, um, you know, we need to start reaching out and getting more broad as a, as an industry with who we're talking to. Um, we, we have to speak to the general like world that's out there versus blockchain experts. And we can't be talking about, you know, like we can't be talking about things that don't matter to normal individuals. We have to be talking about really more user experience and things that, that resonate with larger audiences out there solving the problems of the world. Um, and so I think it's just, it's just a little interesting to see, like it took, it took something like a, a hack to get such crazy activity, um, to happen in Bitcoin. So, so I'll be curious. You mean, you mean we shouldn't, out. we shouldn't revert and get rid of all altcoins and only everyone only buys Bitcoin from now on. And that solves all of the world's problems. Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, which yes, which is a completely different. Uh, I don't want to go. I do not want to go down that tangent today. <laughs> it's a completely different thing to say, you know what? Bitcoin only Bitcoin. Yep. That's right. Only Bitcoin. Um, I don't at this, at the same note, I don't think it's realistic to say that Bitcoin is going to solve all the problems of the world and all the use cases that, that blockchain and all these different, uh, things that are, are built to solve very almost narrow use cases. It, it's almost the equivalent. Uh, if you're talking about artificial intelligence, it's like saying I'm going to build one engine for the entire world that's going to do everything. It, that's impossible. You build a lot of narrow AI engines that are very specific at doing specific things. Um, you don't build one yeah. like AWS doesn't have one AI solution to go cool. Let's let's solve everything. Um, there's very narrow targeted use cases, and crypto is very yeah. similar to that. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's not, not like uh, than the other. it's not like a Joe Shabak where it's like, hey, I'm not trying to solve all these these singular tasks. Like I'm actually the task is recreating the human brain, which is like on a completely different. And that's why it's like the the word the the label artificial intelligence, I think, was wrong, was incorrect for a lot of the 
this kind of singular level machine learning pieces that are happening. It's just, it's just was way too much. I do want to go back just a little bit to the Twitter hack. It's like, I did find it somewhat interesting that, you know, these people were smart enough to figure out how to purchase and own Bitcoin. And maybe smart's the wrong word. These people were able to own Bitcoin. They were on Twitter. You know, so there's already like a couple levels into like the ecosphere that you got to get to get those two things. Yet they still sent Elon Musk a thousand dollars expecting 2000 back. And it's like this, this scheme is not a new scheme. I mean, everyone's gotten an email from some sort of foreign delegate from some random country that says, you know, hey, send me uh, like $500 and I will send you a hundred million back. Like we've been getting those emails since like, you know, you had AOL 1.0 and we're playing like Rabbit Jill's Casino. Like those were things, but why are people sending? And I mean, there is part of it. I do see the veil of like, hey, it's only gonna last 30 minutes. And like, it literally is Elon Musk's handle. Like the first thing, maybe it's like, Elon Musk getting hacked was like a level lower than like, this is a real thing. But at the same time, like, wouldn't you think someone was somewhat facetious? I don't know. It's just like, it is, it is an interesting thing to, to think that these people actually sent money who also own Bitcoin, who also are on Twitter, who also follow these people. It's interesting. Shocking. It's shocking. But, you know, ultimately this comes down to an identity problem. Like if your identity was owned and managed by you, um, there would be a different an, an entirely different outcome here. Like if you had your identity and it transcended all of these social networks and all of these websites you use and all of the places you buy stuff from and it was yours and you owned your identity, it wouldn't be something to like, in, in essence, like log into, like it's just, it's you. And it, it sort of just like goes across everywhere. It's almost like if you had, it's almost like a, a level above a browser in a sense where yeah where each website's not asking you to create an account and now you don't remember your passwords and you you have a password manager with 3000 websites and uh, your passwords in it yeah it, this is the problem and it's inherent to the internet it's inherent to ses applications it's a it's a never ending challenge for every single site to individually solve and the problem is great cool twitter I mean, as if they're not going crazy right now, trying to patch up whatever happened, right? Yeah. How many other sites are? None of them. Like, you know, very few. <laughs> and, and it's like, when then there'll be another hole on another site. And this hole that just happened to Twitter, will exists on other sites now. And, yep. you know, you have to go back and say, this is an inherent internet problem, internet level problem, not a Twitter problem. And Especially now with with how remote we all are and how, you know, a lot of times there are some pretty significant business deals that are being done solely and independently online. Yes. And you know, it's well, like, I so what are you gonna... break, we have uh, Benny here asking for a thousand. His long lost Nigerian uncle has money. <laughs> send thousand to confirm. That's yeah, exactly, so wants to send that's exactly what it was. <laughs> But it's like for identity, it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, why, like how in this virtual world, it's like, so you're going to do a deal with someone or you're here, you know, you're going to have a partnership and you, there's so much trust that needs to happen with a phone call or maybe a video conference or a Zoom. 
but you can't always verify. It's like, do you have to, it's almost like, you know, if you're standing, suddenly you, you, you know, you're walking by the president and the president's like, yeah, hey, yeah. I'll, like, we'll call your dad real quick. And like, you know, we'll call, we'll call someone. It's like, and then you call someone like, Hey, the president wants to talk to you. It's like, Oh, it's bullshit. Like, there's no way, you know, it's like, you don't actually believe that that's the person on the phone. And so for example, it's like, if you're, you know, like Jack right now, it's like, how did he confirm? How do they confirm these celebrities and these, these icons? It's like, sure. They've got verified on their Twitter account, but like, how are they actually verifying that these are the people and that they were hacked? And then how going into the future, is there some sort of triage that happens when these hacks happen? And do you go straight, you know, is it, is it Jack Dorsey calling Kanye West and saying, Hey, hey man, like, I know it was hacked, like we're fixing it. And how does he know he's actually getting Kanye that, that, that he wasn't SIM swapped? Is there like another level of identity and communication that happens? It's like, sure. Maybe he has his, you know, his phone number, but it's like, was that changed? It's an interesting way to think of, of the future. Right. Right. It's also, I mean, again, has to be a level above all of that has to be a level above the browser has to be a level that, you know, if you own a house, your house is tied to that same identity. That's you. Um, you know, if you own a car it needs to be like tied to that same identity, that's you banking DeFi, like everything. And yeah. you've just got, you know, there's, there's the Joe identity like everywhere and you have different identities. Um, and, and this is, this is not, this is like, it's not to say that, you know, like, well, then that could get hacked. It's more like, why do they, why do all these entities need so much information on you? And, and it gets, it gets real crazy when you think like, you know, you can sign up for a website, you know, we've built huge websites before that have millions of unique users a month. And like, imagine there being an account on that website and all I get is your email. That's all I get. But in the background, I'm also getting, you know, your lo your approximate location. If it's on mobile, I can get your like real close your location. And then I start to be able to cross-reference that with like a data management platform, the things that like Adobe has, for example. Um, and I start to realize, oh wow, I can I can establish a full digital profile of Joe. All I ever got on my oh, website yeah. was his email. But right. Real estate records combined with GPS, yeah. latitude, longitude. I mean, that's how some of these third-party companies have more information than some of the larger companies because they've commingled all of that data together and they get a super accurate picture of who you are and what you're doing. Even like mobile, mobile is a good example of like, I think YouTube TV does a nice job of this where it's like, you know, you can't even log, you can't even use a VPN because on the VPN, that doesn't mask your GPS location. And then they, they, look at your GPS location to determine whether or not you're signing in from somewhere else and to give you access to that local television. So they've, they've literally fixed it and you can't mask right. your GPS location on your phone unless you're on an Android or you have a rooted device. And so it's like, they've, there's no getting out of showing what your location is period. If you want to use large mainstream services. Well, and you've got, you've also now got, you know, you've got, there's listening, uh, software that's in some of these apps on your phone, you know, what app you're using and when Uber knows when you're using Lyft and Lyft knows when you're using Uber and where you are and where you typically go and how far you go. And when it'd be nice to send you a, if you're Uber, send you a promotion because you have the Lyft app open. So yeah. the, this stuff exists. Um, and again, it boils back to this. There's this kind of identity problem that's missing um, beyond 
what what Twitter does or what Facebook does. They're they're a website. They're one destination on this giant thing that has inherent problems. And yeah. Well, crypto sixteen eighteen says sounds like you're talking about Icon ICX digital ID. <laughs> Well, there's, there's a few of these. Yeah, sure, sure. That's a good example. We could be talking about Icon, ICX, Digital ID. We could be talking about Digibyte has Digit ID. We could be talking about Blockstack that's built identity into their platform. You know, these are all noble efforts. I think the and oh, we could don't forget, don't forget that uh, EOS has voice that they're building, right? Um, the problem still ends up being great. We have a technology solution. Um, it's obviously not hard because everyone's doing it now. There's a lot of these, a lot of these types of things out there. Um, there's probably 25 that we could find or a hundred. The problem ends up being, what do you build? What's the fabric on top of it? You know, it's, it's really hard to build the social fabric of Twitter out. It's actually fairly straightforward to build Twitter. It's really straightforward. Like, in fact, like you could get a, a, a few buddies together and go build it. Um, might not be at the right scale, but you'd build it over time. The hard thing is, what is that architecture like? How do you how do you build that social fabric to make people interact? Um, it's the same thing of like buying a house. There's a certain protocol to how it works. That's hard to do. There's lots of technology solutions out there, um, but like yeah. this comes back to a, a an identity that's there and built, but there's the proper UX on top of it. And, and no one's done that. No one's done that. It's a huge right. problem. So, um, so it's fun. It's a fun thing, but, but I do wish icon ICX digital ID, a lot of, a lot of luck. Cause it's, it's awesome. It's actually a great project. So yeah, um, we'll, we'll see. And dare I say underrated for all the bulls out there. So, um, <laughs> you want to pop in, pop into a couple more coins. Uh, we, we could, what, another thing that I wanted to, to chat about was, you know, we were driving, by the way, uh -oh. Blue Bottle Coffee is, <laughs> so this episode is brought to you by Blue Bottle Coffee. So I think, yeah. I think it might be owned by Nestle actually, but it's damn good. <laughs> um, this morning, went for a walk, you know, we're in Orange County. We went for, like my wife and I went for a walk, like we drove to the beach and walked around Newport and I, Newport Beach. And I noticed, uh, wow, like a third of the city must be under construction right now. Like the homes that were already millions of dollars are, are being upgraded to millions of dollars more because apparently it wasn't nice enough. Um, it's shocking in the middle of a pandemic. Um, we talk about people that are barely scraping by, um, you know, horrible situation for a lot of Americans, especially because the cases are out of control here. Um, you know, our family has been distancing like crazy, like we're, we're staying home, um, except for going out and getting some exercise. And, and it's, it's fascinating to watch what the rich are doing in this country right now. And I have, I have some mm -hmm. other friends in other nice places and they say the same thing, like in parts of Los Angeles. And it seems to be that the, the rich are getting way richer and there's a few other scenarios that are, are happening. And I, I, it, it's interesting to look at data and go, well, there's this number and that number and that number and that number. And it's another thing to go for a, a walk in a jog like we did this morning and to just walk through the middle of in an area where there's 500 homes and literally 200 are under construction getting remodeled right now um it's telling you feel it it feels like rich disneyland and it, it's like what do they know that 
that others may not be seeing yet? Like why, why are all the wealthy people remodeling their houses in the middle of a pandemic? And it just, it's just striking to look at it and see it and go, you know, well, maybe the math adds up and maybe it's like what we hit 2.98% interest rates yesterday. That was the lowest I think ever, um, endless money printing and a, a, a fairly wrecked economy that's trying to do well, but everyone's at home, um, or a lot of people are. And, and it's just funny that you see that these people are putting literally millions of dollars in their homes right now. And it's just, it's a fascinating topic. I'm like, well, what do they know? Why do they see that it's just low rates and endless money printing? So it's an asset. So it's going to just keep going up as they print more money inevitably. Um, but it was, it's just, it's just fascinating. What are your, what are your thoughts, Joe? <laughs> yeah. I, and topic. I think it's, you know, if you talk to, talk to some people that are, are investing in, in whether they, you know, they're just an individual that's wealthy and they ran a business or they've inherited it and whatnot. I mean, these people are always investing, right? And it's kind of like what, what, you know, with Warren Buffett, it's like, they're always investing in something. They're always in the market, you know? And it's like when, when the shit was hitting the fan, you know, at the beginning and the market was going down and, you know, it kind of bottomed out and, you know, started to kind of come back and you, you hear the talking heads on CNBC talk a little bit about, you know, being in all cash, right? And when they say all cash, it's like, you hear these guys talk on CNBC and it's like, they're like, man, like, you know, Sarah, she's crazy. She's in, she has so much cash right now. She's like almost 10% cash, you know? And it's like, wait a minute, that's all cash. Like, cause you couldn't, they couldn't imagine be, like 50% cash. Like that would like, there's no way. Like they're, they're investing in something, right? right. And so right. right now you're seeing everyone saying, especially now with the money printing and, they, and inflation will hit and it's starting to hit in, in interesting ways. Um, these people are not sitting on cash. They're investing it back into their homes. They are putting it into, you know, into tips. They're putting it into anything that they can that is outside of cash because the ultimate experiment right now is happening with the amount of money that's being printed. I'm sorry, I'm getting a nice breeze right here and just knocking over my camera. But like that, that is what is happening. And these people are investing and it's cheaper money than it's been. And it's not even just the individuals, it's it's the banks too. And being the yep. banks are borrowing at 50 basis points. They're still lending at 3%. They're extremely excited about that. Um, because the business that's come through the door in the last two months for refinances and for even new home purchases is insane. People are leaving these cities or they're trying to move into bigger places within the city if they have to work there. And they're just investing it. And they're going to invest it into things that anything outside of fiat, period. And that's where they feel safest. Um, and so that's kind of the advice that everyone, you know, and it's like we were saying, there's a couple of different ways that they they can hold the poor down, right? It's it's raising taxes because the rich people will find a way around that. Right. And they're not going to pay it. They're going to move to a different Island somewhere or a country somewhere. And they're still going to have access to the U S economy because they have so, so much strength within the business that they're at or inflation. Inflation is a way to hold down the poor and you know, any it's like, so pick your, you know, the worst of, of two sides. It's like, you know, Donald Trump, love him or hate him you know, had an agenda, came into office and said, you know, we're going to, we're going to drain the swamp. You know, we're going to get rid of these people and we're going to change the way that this works. 
he absolutely did not drain the swamp. And he brought more people in that were like the original politicians. And, you know, when they had an opportunity to raise rates, probably a year and a half, two years ago, and they should have raised rates to slow down the economy um, and start to recoup some of the money that has been spent and the debt that was out there, he was getting upset and saying, we should lower the, we should lower rates. Like we have to be competitive on a global scale because Warren Buffett's going to go to Switzerland or he's going to go to the European Union and get a loan versus coming to the United States and getting a loan. It's like, what? It's like, you're going to, that's the competition that you're looking for. And they think that, you know, they can out capitalist anyone that's out there and just grow the economy out of it. That's just not the case. Right. And so inflation yep. starts to happen. And that's just a way where like we're talking about these hard money assets are now going to grow and everyone else that's living somewhat paycheck to paycheck, all they have is increased food prices. They can't hold on to the cash that they get because that's going to lose value so quickly. Um, and it's just a cycle. And so, we can't even say like we're probably the United States is probably one of the more capitalistic societies on the planet. And we can't even say that we're even close to that. I mean, if you look at the, even the current administration, which people would say is, uh, uh, you know, as far right as we've been in a while, regardless of whether or not COVID hits, there is a decision to be made to print money. And the opposite decision could have been made where they said no, and un as, as unfortunate as it is, when businesses fail, innovation thrives. And so we started it in 2008. And it's like, you know, I, like I was listening to um, Peter Schiff on Joe Rogan the other day. And I actually, it's like, you know, Peter said some really smart stuff. And, you know, whether or not you don't think he's got Bitcoin, I think he's got a ton. That's why he's in Puerto <laughs> Rico. But he, he, was he was just talking about it, like the way that inflation is affecting the poor. And um, it's it's a really smart way to kind of think about what's happening out there right now and kind of how to protect yourself. But, you know, rich people are going to find a way around it. You know, what's funny is as this topic has come up all year long, you know, from some of the biggest names in crypto, I, I find it really interesting that um, the next inevitable sentence after what we're talking about is, oh, and Bitcoin's going to 100,000. Bitcoin's going to a million because you know what? Governments are printing endlessly. Do you find it really funny that Bitcoin is stuck? It's been stuck for weeks. And I'm going to, I'm going to swap coins here. DeFi, DeFi, not Bitcoin, but DeFi solutions have gone crazy. I, I, I find that real interesting. So it's, it's almost like there's a search for yield versus a long-term store of value people would rather on this short term have yield and you know we look at these these solutions like we've got ave up here right now it's up in six months 1182.12 percent and so you know when we've got when we've got these these kinds of scenarios here um with bitcoin during that same period of time let's look at six months on bitcoin Bitcoin in six months has moved a grand total of 6.25% at the same time that Ave has moved 1,182. So I, yeah. I find it interesting that as this narrative has kept going around, um, hey, uh, your, your next thing you need to do because the government's endlessly printing money is buy gold and Bitcoin and real estate also as a third thing should do really well. You probably want most of your nest egg in real estate because of all this cash printing is going to cause inflation. And so 
wouldn't you know, very, I haven't heard anyone say, hey, because of all this backdrop, it's going to cause an altcoin rally. That's exactly what happened. Um, yeah. If anything, we, we're seeing the biggest gains since 2017 right now um, on some of these projects. Um, oh, absolutely we are. You know, like to, to point out like uh, Chainlink, this last week of Chainlink, and, and I, I throw Tezos into there as well, but we've seen a massive breakout. Chainlink is now $8.27. Uh, cents. Oh, wow. It's already back up to eight, almost 830. Wow. 827 right now. And if I just look at the last month, see, it's up 99% in, in a month. Again, like, you know, let's a lot of people have been holding too. There's a lot of people that have been rewarded for, you know, being all in on this from the, from the early stages. So that, that same time frame, Bitcoin's down 2.8% while Chainlink is up almost triple digits. Um, yeah. By, and it, well, I think it's a little bit of what you're seeing in the stock market too, with things like Tesla and, and just excitement and like inflation, inflation is going to be a problem. Sure. It's going to, to what extent I think it's still TBD, right? Like what if this experiment, what, what if we can print a trillion dollars a year and nothing happens and we move into the future and, you know, universal basic income and everything else is out there. And, and for the most part, you know, people are unaffected. What if that happens, right? I don't think that's going to be the case, but I still think in the short term, people are always looking for a an optimism. And it's like with something like Tesla, where it's like Tesla, its market cap is now, I think, $380 billion. And you're looking at something like Ford or GM. I, th I think it's like, right. they're, they're anywhere from like, I think 40 billion maybe, or it might, it's either like 28 or 68, I think it's in my head. I could be wrong, but like is yeah. Tesla from a capital perspective, you know, even close to that or an earnings perspective. I mean, how many times earnings is it, is it trading at, but it doesn't matter because it's the excitement of what the future holds. And it's like some of these DeFi projects I think are, are tapping into that same kind of stigma of like, this is, this could be a insane future if some of these things go mainstream and people are starting to use them. And people are excited right now. It's like, this is where you're putting your money. You know, look at reserve rights, what $69 million market cap doesn't take a whole lot to move that up quickly. It doesn't take a whole lot of retail buyers to move that up quickly where, um, you know, even like, even not from a Bitcoin standard, it's still a very small, you know, right. like the entire, what we were talking about yesterday, the entire cryptocurrency market cap is still like $10 billion less than Tesla. Yes. Yeah. Well, here's, what's also another interesting thing here. We've had, in the entire history of crypto, there's been uh, Bitcoin and altcoins. I would make the argument that that DeFi falls into another bucket that has yet to go mainstream um, in terms of people considering it something different. It's not just altcoins. And I, I say that because of like, like think of like the Tesla analogy, right? Tesla is looked at like it's been looked at, at like as a car company. Um, especially by other car companies, right? Te Tesla makes cars. We need to compete against them to sell cars. The reality is that they are as much an AI, a soft AI-driven software company as they are a car company. They are more an energy company than all of that combined. And so when you look at Tesla, it's not a car company. It's something else. When you look at these DeFi projects, they're not an altcoin. They are, they are a platform to do something entirely new with because, because it's in its infancy right now. When you, when you think about what's happening, 
it's right now it's on the hunt for yield, but that could evolve into something else and then something else and then something else that has way more inherent value than what we're looking at today. So what I'm wondering is, are, are, is the market starting to value these things as something else entirely? And so this will be really fascinating because we are, we are six, seven months really into this big giant DeFi cycle. And so is it a bubble or is it something new entirely that's in, in its infancy? So right. I'm sure some people like, uh, I'm sure Alon, who's maybe listening right now, would have a whole stance on this. Just, yeah. Like, you know, I, I just wonder if this is the start of something new because it's, it's not feeling it. Yes. They're rising a lot, but there's a, there's a certain premise that's different here than the pump and dumps we saw in 2016, 2017. There's actually something new that, that seems to be in its infancy. So I'm, I'm really curious to watch how this DeFi space evolves. Um, yeah. Could we be, could we, still be at the beginning of the bubble though not even the bubble the beginning of the rise meaning you know some of these coins in 2017 that did this it was not like they did a thousand percent in six months it was like some of these were doing multiple thousands of percents yes and you know not that i'm saying it's going that way but when you look at some of the early stages of these it's like 300 sure amazing right obviously huge risk to put a lot of money into something like this but is there another thousand per, you know are we at the beginning of the the uptick in this are people still just identifying and understanding the power behind how big like are these our new banks right are these well, look, look at history look at look at some history here look at go back to 2000 go back to the internet bubble right and pets.com and all of these things and and look at a lot of these didn't have a viable product or anything in market at all and, and this is a very similar thing with, with crypto. When we, when we saw 2016, 2017, when we saw that bubble, there were, there were projects uh, like, I, I'm not going to say the name, but uh, like, as an example, there was one that was like uh, the Airbnb for crypto and everyone was a whatever for crypto. Right. And, and like, right. Um, and you actually start to read the white papers and you start to read, like, you start to understand like their roadmap, their hypothetical roadmap. And you realize wow, they're three to five years away from anything, even hitting the market, let alone traction, let alone the right economic model for the token. Like, are they going to burn these tokens or are they just going to inevitably print these forever? Like, is it endless? There's no supply cap. Yeah. Um, you start to realize they had no, like, they're startups and they had no plan. They had no product roadmap that was legit. Like, it was just a hope and a dream and a, and a huge spike and a cash out and everyone else gets burned. But the yep. difference now, again, playing, taking a card from the internet, what, what happened in web 2.0 when, when, um, we had Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Amazon, could keep going, Pinterest, it could keep going. Like what happened? They had viable products with a viable audience that they went, they went public and over time they became the largest companies on earth. And, and like, here we are with DeFi and we've got products that are in market. Is the UX perfect? Absolutely not. In fact, I even did a few posts on that last week. They have a UX problem in a lot of these DeFi products until they don't, until it's fixed. But they're, but they're a product, right? Like it, product. They're, they're not launching, at least maybe I don't know, but it seems like most cannot launch unless there's a product, which is a, 
you know, which is crazy to say, it's like, oh, of course, you know, why would you even launch something if you didn't have a product? But it's like, that's where we were in 2017. And now is the next iteration of that, where at least people are saying, hey, let's, I'm going to build something and then produce it. But it's kind of interesting. I was just thinking about as you're talking about like Facebook, you know, Apple, Netflix, Google, Amazon. And it's like, what percentage of the entire like S&P those companies are now, like 40% of the entire market cap and like 50% of daily trading volume comes from like those plus like a Microsoft maybe, which is insane to think about. But isn't it even more, isn't it crazier to think about that a couple of those, like a Google or a Netflix, um, you know, those, those were, those came in 2004, 2008, kind of out of this web 2.0 of what you're talking about, where the ones that were there a little bit before, you know, even Amazon to a sense, you know, the ones that were there before were like a Microsoft and an Apple was a lot around for a long time, more like hardware oriented, but still software oriented. It's like these new things. I mean, Google, Netflix, Amazon, like these are web 2.0 type companies that are now legitimately the largest driving force in the U S economy. And that was right. only yes. 20 years, 20 years ago. And it's like, right. if in 20 years, these companies can become the pinnacle, the driving force, maybe even globally for commerce. Like, what does that mean for some of these projects that are just starting today, which, yeah, some might seem crazy to some people, or some might not seem like they have, you know, the legs to get there. But like we're saying before, like, sure, maybe most of the cryptocurrencies that are out there today are not going to exist into the future, but there are going to be more cryptocurrencies in the future than there are today. Yeah, there certainly will be once the guardrails internationally are, are clear, you know, yeah. I mean, we, we, we've, We've researched this space a lot, and there is no clear protocol um, for managing tokens legally, especially in the United States. Um, but you know, as this becomes more um, widely understood, how to operate, how it's potentially part of a startup, how it's potentially, um, you know, financially administered, so it's a security or it's a utility token. As that becomes clear, yes, without a doubt. I mean, we're seeing thousands of coins in a incredibly cloudy environment right now. So just imagine once the guardrails are put into place and you know how to operate and you're going to start some new company with some new idea and you realize, gosh, if we had a token, it would work this way. Um, as that becomes clear, yes, you, you, you're undoubtedly right. Um, there's going to be a lot more tokens, a lot. Yeah, and, and I, I do hope the ability for anyone to invest in the token and in that in the right. you know in the ecosphere of some of these smaller companies even if it's ten dollars even if it's five dollars and it's like some of the rules and regulations put in place at least in the us around you know accredited investors right like <laughs> you could look at that one way and say you know what that that you know protects people from you know making it you know getting burned but it's like why is the sole reason that you can invest in these things because you currently have enough money. Is that because you want to protect people versus losses and they can take a bigger loss, but it's like, why couldn't someone do on a percentage scale, the same investment and start to at least gain some ground. It's like, it seemed from the outside, it does seem like a way to prevent people from investing that otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity because they don't have enough money. It's I mean, that's what it feels like. It, it's honestly garbage. Like, yeah. honestly, it's such, it's the worst rule ever. 
I've seen uh, so many of these coins that go out to these accredited investors way early on that are like a 10th, a 20th, a hundredth of the price that when they hit the non-accredited investors in another round. So these initial accredited investors have already made a killing getting in early. That is completely unfair. That is like, like that's ridiculous. Like, and that's the current model. Like that's, that's okay. So, yeah. you know, it, it's holding people down is what it's doing and it's completely unfair and it needs to change. So, but again, can you imagine if there was fair. like a structure, can you imagine if there was a structure in place where like, if you wanted to start a business and maybe you started a token or whatnot and, you know, but there was some sort of like structure in place where it's like, you need this video to explain it. You need the white paper. You need a prototype. You need these, you need to hit these certain things to kind of achieve the ability to raise, right? So it, it creates like, you need to do some work, right? It can't just be idea napkin because there's a million people that are out there every day being like, oh man, I, that, that mop infomercial, like, man, I totally have that idea. Yeah, but you didn't execute on it, which that is the idea. It's like kind of like going back to like Zuckerberg and Facebook and MySpace and everything else. Like there's a level of execution. Everyone else had that idea too. He, that was not an original idea. Right. It's pure execution, but it, I do think that, you know, even if you have some brilliant, idea for a patent or like the dissolvable casing on a vitamin pill, right? You still need to execute to make it happen. So it's like, if there was some way where you could get, you know, a crowdsourced $100,000 or $150,000, like something like a, a pre-seed round, you know, that could, like, can you imagine the innovation that would come, especially at a time like right now where people want to work on something, but they like, maybe they are like, you know, they cut hair and they're like the best barber in the world, but they literally can't do their job that like legally. So they're like, what else? How do I innovate? Are people going to want to get haircuts in the future? Or is everyone going to just learn to do it at home? Is there a market there? But maybe they can start something else, a Shopify store or whatnot. And now you can fund that person, you know, 50 grand and they could live like, you know, maybe the government matches it. If you raise up to a certain amount, like, oh my God, the amount of innovation that would happen is pure insanity. If you could launch a startup with a utility token and you almost treat it like a, like a patent or, um, you treat it almost like it, it, it could be part of like your, your, your user experience planning that you're doing. If you, if, if that were clear and thought through up front, it, you know, it would almost become rare to see a SaaS based startup, not have a token because it wouldn't make sense. And it doesn't mean they're building their own platform out. I mean, they'd probably be using other blockchains out there, obviously like Ethereum or something. Yeah. But, but it's like, you know, you know, it, it, it creates, if there were better guardrails, it would create better thought through user experiences that would create greater adoption for each of these things that get started versus, yeah. Hey, let's build this thing and Hey, let, let's bolt on a token or a rewards program. That's totally worthless or, or we've seen a lot of other applications that are out there, even competitors that, that we've seen uh, that have tokens that rarely even use it or they only use it for payment. And, and it's kind of like, like, that's it. That like, this is worthless. So, yep. and some of these are worth tens of millions of dollars that we've seen. Like it's just completely the worst executions versus thinking from the ground floor. How do we build like, you know, tokenization rewards, blockchain into all of our experience that we're building, um, you're, you're right. You're going to get far greater innovation around these things that get built out.
So versus yeah. shoot, I'm afraid I'm not going to do this the right regulatory way. And the U S government's going to come after me because I didn't file this. I didn't do that. Like, it's just so ambiguous and ridiculous or, or they're just going to drive innovation out of the country. And yes. you know, it's and now that everything's remote before that would be like a huge risk to say like, okay, I'm going to risk everything. I'm going to move to this other, you know, sovereign nation and there's different laws there. Cause I feel somewhat, you know, unsafe, but now it's like, Hey, you know, if it fails, like 99% of startups do, that's okay. Because now I can just pick up a job, you know, at Twitter, that's all remote or Coinbase, that's all remote or all these other companies that are now set up for that work. Now you're going to lose people from even living in your country, right. And, and potentially moving to places that have lower tax rates, you know, or are more set up to go after their second, you know, startup in this space. And it's especially because I think the crypto space attracts so many brilliant people and it attracts so many smart people that are, are looking to, for change and looking to, you know, change the way that they, they want to see the world and they want to make their world a certain way. Um, they're going to lose that. That's going to be a brain drain on, on the United States. And that's going to be a, a big deal for anyone that can't figure out the regulation around it. And, and maybe it's just too small at this point, even like it's just too early. Right. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's, you know, there's way too many bank lobbyists out there trying to still push the narrative that this is an evil, bad thing. Um, but like we said, there's a lot more dollar scams going on every day than there are Bitcoin scams. Right. There are. And so that, let's talk about Dogecoin. Dogecoin. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I would love to make the world's smoothest transition right into Dogecoin <laughs> after that whole discussion. Um, and we promised some people, um, if you're listening out there, we did promise some individuals that we'd cover some coins. We asked on Twitter yesterday um, a few things. Uh, Dogecoin was actually one of those as well. So just like we've had some, uh, I think I still get it up here, Bitcoin, some craziness with Bitcoin. We've had, uh, I don't know if it's as crazy as Bitcoin, but Dogecoin's been um, really uh, interesting. The last week here, um, we've seen the TikTok frenzy go crazy with uh, Dogecoin to a dollar. Um, okay. And I, I feel bad if you got in at 0 0.005, you're now down to 0 0.003. Um, so uh, what this is exactly what a pump and dump looks like. Um, we have, and, and let me add, we also get asked all the time, how correlated is social activity? Let me zoom in a little more on this one. And we see, you know, how, how correlated is social activity to price movements? And we have our correlation rank, and we're looking at all of the various things, social volume, social engagement, price, market activity. And, you know, you can, you can clearly see on here. I love it. Um, before, it was, you know, it's been moving anywhere between like three to even as low as two and a half. And then the campaign started. The campaign, the groundswell of TikTokers uh, going crazy. And wouldn't you know, right at where it made a high in terms of volume, in terms of social activity and price, we were 4.8 out of 5, meaning that social activity was almost purely driving the price. And the social activity starts to wane, and it's just sort of the markets are kind of taking over. But this shows really just how crazy, I mean, it stands out like a sore thumb over time. It's the highest we've ever seen it. And you look at that social volume, I mean, we went from 730 Doge mentions per day to 36,102. Wouldn't you know, shocking, shocking. 
we're back down to 1877. It's and like a, it's say, like the Twitter, Twitter hack. <laughs> it, it is. It, it's almost identical to the Twitter hack. And 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 not to say that uh, it can't pump again. It totally could. This coin's lasted more than almost anything out there because it's it's a meme coin. It's fun. It's the best like memes ever. Um, but <laughs> meme coin. Th- this just goes to show um, how much social activity can pump everything. You know, if we threw, I- I'd love to see a Tesla to Dogecoin correlation, um, because a lot of Tesla's like run is also socially driven. The communities behind this. Obviously, it's it's an a incredibly important company, but it is a socially driven company. There's a lot of correlation on that one, but but yeah. Dogecoin really um, it it illustrates what the almost the anatomy of a pump and dump, what it feels like, um, and it also shows that some of these altcoins, you should know when to buy and sell. You should have your personal targets set. No one's going to tell yeah, you right. where it's going accurately, but you need to personally go. You know what I. You might have been in here at, at 0.002 and gone, you know what? I, I like I, I might not have gotten in at the top. I might sold at 0.0025 and you just made 20 some odd percent. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, you Yeah, and you ha- you have to know that that's a socially driven pump scheme at the same when you're when literally your insight and your tip came from a TikTok post. And you can even like th- mathematically you can look at that and say, "Well, how many likes did it have? How many reposts did it have?" Like you know that that was pump and dub and it's like, you know, people, the, the psychology around it that they did was, you know, a, a 10% gain doesn't even feel on the same exact wavelength as a 10% loss, right? Like you got it. Like, so when people are down, they tend to hold losers and sell winners because they think the winners are going to go down and they don't let them run. And then they hold on to losers because they want to get their bag filled. And it's right. actually the exact opposite. You should be selling losers and you should be riding your winners um, and any, it's not just, that's anything, startups, anything, just be riding what's working. Um, and it, for some reason, it's just psychologically the opposite. I mean, I, I was like that for a very long time and it's opposite. You know, it's almost like the, the Costanza model, you, just everything, the opposite of what you're thinking. And it sounds crazy, but it's, it's, you know, there's something to that. Um, Jeremy, Jeremy wants to know why is an engine, but engine. I think he meant a J yeah. versus a D. Yes. Yes, engine. Which so, we, which I was holding I very think, early on. I think is another interesting one here. So I've got a story. So one thing, well, I'm going to talk Doge one more point. I'm just going to say it's important to zoom out. It's important to not act mentally like I'm going to day trade five times an hour. Um, it's important to know um, that's not realistic to do that, by the way. And no exchange is going to have all the liquidity and get you the right correct spread all yeah. the time. That's too much trading. Um, unless you're a computer and you're, you're literally automated, you shouldn't be doing that. No one should. But if I looked at one day of Dogecoin, you go, okay, great. It looks pretty flat. If I showed you a week, it looks, all right, it's a downtrend, right? But if I zoom out and show you three months, you, you start to have some perspective. Um, and the same thing could go to say, when I'm looking at every candle, you know, I can have very little confidence on a one day what every candle is doing here. I can't do any solid TA on a one day. There's too much risk. There's too much variability. But when I start to look out and I start to, in fact, let's go six months and I'm looking at daily candles over six months, even if I wanted to break those down even further, you start to be able to understand where you relatively are. And if you don't understand where you relatively are, 
Um, look, I everyone's traded bad, right? In the past, you learn, you learn, you learn. But if you don't understand relatively where you are, you're going to make the worst trades ever, and you're going to lose money. So I think I just want to make that point, and I want to make that point because on our Telegram, there's been a couple people that think we're giving buy sell recommendations. We are not. We are not making investment decisions. We are giving the community social insights. And there was an individual yesterday that said that they bought engine because it was yesterday's coin of the day. And I want to make the, the point that they said, you know, we lost them money. I'm like, wait a second. We didn't say where to buy. We didn't say where to sell. We literally said it was coin of the day. And they, they said it's going to take them forever to make their money back. And I'm laughing here because it's up 16, 15, 16% today. And you know, <laughs> they probably sold. Funny. They literally bought here, I assume. They bought here at, at 19 cents. Probably, I don't know if they sold or not, but they complained right around here at 17 cents and said, We lost the money. I'm like, You're kidding me. We didn't say buy or sell. Um, and now here we go again. And so the, the only comment I could say is, You must be new to crypto because that's like an intra hourly move <laughs> on a lot of coins. Why are you in a, a volatile altcoin if that's the case? Hold your Bitcoin and be done and just hold it forever. But if you're trying yeah. to trade, things don't necessarily move on your personal cycle. Um, they move based think, on market cycles. Have you have you seen any specific news or anything come out of Engine? I mean, I see here that they have been added to Huobi Japan. Uh, let's take a look. Which like listings normally, I mean, back in 2017, listings were like, it was listed now, now 286% in a day. But I do think that Huobi being a large exchange, Huobi Japan, uh, Minecraft, uh, gamers, I do feel that that could be the next wave. This would be it here. Engine enters DeFi with Aave protocol. Okay. And Aave. Yeah. So you can, you can use it there. Uh, now I'm, I'm actually really curious. What what are they what are they saying you're gonna get with returns? There it is. Is it on here? Um maybe it's not up yet. Oh there it is. Oh no it is engine. Their APY. They shouldn't yeah. be paying any I'm going to give Ave a UX recommendation. Lock your top row. We've had issues on with that on our site too, but that's coming soon. Because <laughs> now I can't see what am I looking at. So engine 3.53.8 APY. I think that's APY. Yeah. So, hey, better than nothing holding it, right? Um, so that's a really right. interesting model. That's kind of interesting when you think about adding a coin that doesn't have you know, doesn't have any staking or doesn't have any sort of APR on there to add that to your technically exchange or wallet, but now sharing. So someone wants to the exposure to that upside of that particular project, but now they're kind of probably sharing and mixing the, the staking rewards cross coin. It's like, well, if I'm gonna hold engine, I'm cause I love the project. Like I play Minecraft, like this is the best thing ever. And now I'm getting 1% on my money as well for holding it there. Right. That's a, that's a completely different competition. It's also, and like, I hate saying this, a slippery slope because slippery slopes do end somewhere folks. Like, you know, just cause you're giving like, what was John Oliver's thing? Just cause I'm giving my child a Twizzler 
doesn't mean I'm suddenly going to give them the whole box of Twizzlers. Like you just get one Twizzler, um, which is, you know, licorice. But, you yes, know, if, yes. if these, like, does this stop Binance now from saying, hey, if you're holding engine on Binance, we're going to give you one and a half percent. And then Coinbase is like, well, maybe we'll give them 1.75. And where does that end? And are they, are they getting squeezed for profit or are they potentially, are there some nefarious people that are out there that might say, well, you know, we're just going to lower our reserve requirements because U.S. banks only need to hold 10%, but now it's zero. But, right. you know, like someone like Tether, who's got technically, they say, 75% of the Tether on hand, which is still much more than the United States banking system. Do they start to kind of whittle into some of that? I don't know. It's an interesting. Yeah, it, it is. And there's so many projects with so many different economic models. Like I could throw Tezos out there, for example, and Coinbase will give you just over 4%. But if you use a lot of the other bakers out there, you'll get almost seven. I think I've seen a few little higher than seven even. Um, right. Or you become a baker yourself and you make even more. Um, right. And then you think, well, great. So if I'm getting spun off five to 6% for just holding coins, cool. Um, what can I do with that five or 6%? That five or 6% could pay my taxes on my house. So I never have to pay taxes again. I could reinvest it. I could, you know, you, you start to have this whole next leg of, well, what do I do with that money? You know, and it's just, it, it becomes a game of endless yield hunting um, and always maximizing that. And on the one hand, you can like take that and reinvest it in crypto, but who says that it's even going to be crypto? What if I, what if I buy some sort of decentralized basket of real estate or something? Um, you start to get into this whole or land or, or land. Yeah. Or you get, there's, there's really a well, shout out to our friends at Fabrica out there. <laughs> yeah, Fabrica was awesome, which actually brings up the point. We were in Techstars one year ago today. We were driving four hours a day driving to Los Angeles. And you should pull up, pull up Fabrica's site so people can see it. All right, I'm going to do that. We'll give them we'll give them a shout out. Everyone in, uh, in Techstars. Uh-oh, we got to work on their SEO. Uh-oh, fine carpets and rugs. Fabrica, you got some SEO to do. Fabrica.land, I see. Yeah. Choose land sales online, and you can buy with crypto, right? So I want to Well, I think they were money. building, they're building on Ethereum. Yes, Santa Cruz is beautiful. Does that link? No, okay. Ah, so but this is what's them. awesome. And this is kind of what, and like, this is what we're talking about with like the next layer of DeFi is, is automatically putting this into some sort of, you know, commodity, like a, a commodity, which could be land, but some sort of diversified basket across these that is automatically being, you know, rebalanced. So it's not overworking and it's just a piece of it. So it's like a couple of clicks and now you could be invested in something that otherwise, again, only gave access to some of the, you know, the most accredited and most, most wealthy people, you can now get access to some of these things. So it's, it's just an amazing innovation. I'm super excited for that next leg of, you know, what do you do with some of that yield, you know, as people start to move a larger portion of their holdings and their net worth into some of these things, it's going to open the door uh, for some pretty amazing products. And can give people a lot of freedom. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I think I think the big thing with all of them though is like as as 
as far as starting your, your SaaS based business, how do you build this token alongside it to make it work and have this, this correct UX and economic model work simultaneously with your marketing as well? And that's why I brought up Travala.com, which is another one that we've had requested. Um, and interesting site. So you can book your travel. They have their own token. Crypto is accepted. It's, it's kind of like one of those natural things of like, man, where does this go? Where does this go? Does this go into, does, like, does this take over loyalty and rewards points from the airlines if this were to be huge? You know, like talk about something that could immediately be improved on with blockchain. I mean, all those airline miles, when people inevitably fly someday again, even though hardly anyone's flying right now, um, you know, what does this look like in the future? And so this one's a fascinating thing. So in fact, I encourage everyone in crypto to check out Travala.com. It's pretty cool. Um, pretty interesting site. You can book your, your flights for cheaper and things like that. But we're seeing the, the community grow. And, um, you know, if I looked at six months, in fact, let's go one year, and I averaged out, you know, they were getting, you know, we had, if I look at a yearly basis, it was only an average of 91 individuals per day. But if I just look at say the last month, now we're talking about 334 individuals per day. Um, and so, and if over the last week, let's see what we got here. Yeah, that's hourly. So, but if we're talking 334, I mean, this, this community is growing in size and we're seeing that um, social engagement is also spiking up. So there's been an hour here, even this was one of the days, like almost 6 million engagements. And what that's looking at is like deeper interactions. Usually there's like a big story going on if there's that much engagement and that's like comments and retweets and things like that. But, you know, consistently over time, we're seeing that it increase, accelerate. In fact, to the point where over six months, there's been- Man, go actually look at that graph real quick on engagement, that previous spike. This, this one that was like, I think that's Feb. Feb 24, uh, going back like before, all the way back to oh, February. Yeah. I don't remember what month it see is. that spike right there? It's it's an interesting, it's like the price you can see if you move the cursor a little bit, you could see the price starting to move and then right. the big spike in social engagement. So there was some sort of engagement, some sort of news that came out, but that was almost like the second push. And then once that happened, but then the wind kind of came out of the sales a little bit with the social volume, you did see the price kind of move away. And so it's almost like that wave of optimism that's happening when this social engagement or news happens, a specific piece of news is happening, there is going to be a letdown with that much increase. Obviously, you don't know how, how long that's going to take, but if you do see this sharp downtick of engagement, you're going to see a, a lower in price where when you're looking to the later stages, starting a little bit in the later months, you're seeing a consistent spike of social engagement that's happening throughout those next six months, which is, is, is keeping the news and the audience there. And it looks like holding the price up pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's also kind of, you know, my advice to them, uh, well, to every project would be increase your, your organic um, following. I don't know what these are, if this is big news and then it dies and there's another big news and it dies, another big news and it dies. But, you know, this does come back to UX. They have, they have a UX on Travala.com. They have, if you look at their customer journey, there's a thousand and one interaction points that they could be having customers advocate for them. So I would advise them and yeah. every other crypto project that has, they, they all have a user experience of some sort. 
what can you do to create um, user engagement at all of those individual interaction points versus hiring influencers and then crossing your fingers and then that campaign's done. So you'd see stuff like rise and fall or um, really like just waiting for the big news to pop. Like always have people talking about you, always grow these things. You know, I, I love to pick on it a lot, but like, um, like if I picked on Digibyte as an example, um, you know, and let's look at their, their contributors and let's look at a one year. So tiny a year ago, hundred people, hundred people, hundred people. And then we get into this like spike here. We're talking 2000, 5,000, you know, 4,000. And so this is not, God, look at the market volume too. Right. Exactly. And this is not a campaign. This is organic, consistent community growth. And when we look at the price, it, it follows, right? I mean, and it's hard to look at a one year, you're gonna see a very different number on six months, I bet here, like a couple hundred percent. If you look at three months, it's even probably even a little higher or you know, 160%. It's good, it's good for your price. It's good for your trading. It's good for your liquidity. It's good for your news, your social growth, or, you know, and, and then the next time that a big story happens, something that's actually technically or engineering driven, you now have a giant community to advocate for it versus okay, we got this big thing coming out. What should the campaign be? Who, who, which yeah. influencer should we hire? And it pumps and dumps. It's not, you know, and then in between, it's crypto. It's not a publicly traded company. There's nothing there to, to talk about. Like you have to have your community constantly going and going and going. So this is, this is a, a much larger topic, probably for another, you know, another stream, but it's just like, it's, it's really important. I, I pick on it a lot. Um, yeah. I think there's another well, it's a good, it kind of goes back to the, the product versus marketing. And it's like, at some point, some of these larger companies, you know, they, they, you know, they hire a CMO, you know, and they have these big advertising departments and marketing departments. And it's like, you know, whether it's like a battle between product and marketing to like dictate the roadmap. And it's like, you know, some of the argument is like, well, what if we just reoriented all of that money into just product alone, you know? And it's like, it does look like, and you know, I know we talk about car companies a lot, but it does look like traditional car companies versus a Tesla. Like you're not, you're not seeing a Tesla Super Bowl commercial. You're not seeing, you know, these, these tier, tier one through tier three campaigns where like for people that don't know, tier three means like local, you know, car, like this is your dealership doing advertising or, you know, something local and like a tier two would be like regional. So when you see like, local SoCal Honda dealers. And then tier one is going to be kind of your broad pace commercials and, and Super Bowl commercials. It's like, you don't see that with a Tesla. You just see really good product and it's word of mouth and it's people talking about it. So we're, lo we're losing you a little bit, John. I'm going to take off your, your, your kids are playing too much Fortnite. I know, right? Did you see my post yesterday? My son was number four out of 7,000 competitors in a Fortnite competition last night. Holy shit. He's crushing oh. it. I know. We got we to gotta bring him on the live stream. Let's bring him on the live stream and interview him next week, although I doubt he'll want to do it. We need, we need to get our Twitch set up, and uh, we'll have him manage that one. Um, yeah. Well, cool, I, man. I, I mean, we are – Icon. Yeah, I don't know. Are we uh, – is it working? Yeah, we're hit. We're, yeah, we're hitting on the end here. Uh, hour okay. fifteen. 
Um, so yeah, let's wrap it up for this week, but thank you everyone for, for listening in. Maybe next week I'll have like in some outro music or something. I mean, I don't know. We're going to get licensing on some of that stuff. Um, yep. but no, really appreciate everyone. Have, have an amazing weekend. This will be uh, posted onto YouTube. It's already probably as soon as we done, it'll be on uh, Twitter. So appreciate everyone's support and uh, look out next week for some, uh, for some new calls. So appreciate it, everyone. Have a nice weekend. Thanks everyone.